0: The reading is from Romans 15, chapter 15, verses 1 to 16. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other, that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. So that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the gentiles might glorify god for his mercy as it is written therefore i will praise you among the gentiles i will sing the praises of your name again it says rejoice you gentiles with his people and again Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister Of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you Felicity. Good morning. My name is Sue Collinson, for those who don't know me, and I'm training to be a licensed lay minister. You can ask me what that is at the end, and I don't know if I'll be able to tell you, but uh, (coughs) let's pray as we start. We just echo that prayer, Lord, that in the renewal of our lives, you might make known your glory. Amen. I heard the other day um, on the radio a psychologist was talking about the rise of mental health in young people. It's quite significant, I think most of us will have heard. And she simply said that teenagers nowadays just need to know one thing. They need to know that they are loved and accepted. And I thought to myself, that is amazing, isn't it? Because that is the gospel, that there is a God who loves and accepts us. And Paul, in this letter of Romans that we've been in for the last couple of weeks, um, he, that is his, one of his great themes in the letter. He's got two big themes. The first is about how God loves and accepts us. Justification, he calls it. And uh, John Stott writes these lovely words, that it's by God's grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. That is justification in a nutshell. It's all about God. And his other great theme in the letter is unity. Uh, we, if you were here last week, you'd have heard from Simon that the church in Rome was um, facing this very great tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And so Paul is at pains to write about how we can live together when we think so differently about things. And in this chapter 15, it's as though he sort of lands his argument with this great conclusion, which I will hopefully go on to talk about. In chapter 12, he's talked about the church being like a body, uh, how we're all different but connected. And yet he doesn't want to sort of leave our heads in some sort of spiritual cloud, as it were. He wants to ground that in practical reality. He says, love must be sincere. What does that mean for us to be a body together? And that is really what this series is about this being church. What does that mean for us? That's what we're unpacking. Simon spoke last week about not judging one another. And at the beginning of chapter 14, we read those words, don't we? Accept him whose faith is weak. And in that context, uh, in Rome, The person whose faith was weak was um, the Jewish Christians, actually, because um, they're the ones that were in the minority and they were struggling with the Gentile Christians. But Paul knows that both the Jewish Christians, who perhaps were a little bit proud of their status as Jews, uh, and the Gentile Christians, who were perhaps a little bit proud about this freedom they had in Christ, both needed, as it were, to be humbled and to recognize that they are all one in Christ. And so in verse 15, uh, in chapter 15, the chapter that we're looking at this morning, we pick this up, don't we, where he says, we who are strong, so he's sort of linking himself actually with the Gentile Christians, funnily enough, because he is a Jew, but he is saying we who are strong in the faith, as it were, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And, of course, he then points us to Jesus. And that's what he does all the time. He says that Jesus, of course, is our supreme example of what it means to not live to please ourselves. And so we pick it up in verse 7 when he says, Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you. And I think those two words, as Christ, are really two crucial words that we can take home with us this morning because we only do what has been done for us, as it were. So we forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We love as Christ has loved us. We accept one another as he has accepted us. I think this is what I would call the cycle of discipleship, if you like. We only give what we receive. And that is the gospel, isn't it? That God loves us before we do anything for Him. It's that wonderful unconditional love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I know most of you are very familiar with these words. In uh, Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It's interesting, doesn't he, when he says at just the right time. Why was it just the right time? Why was that? And I think it's because that shows God's grace. He's demonstrating his grace to us in that he died for us while we could not do anything for ourselves. Paul knows that there is nothing he could do in his own strength to make himself acceptable to God. He would always fail and this came home to me again this week, just a personal example for you. I had been, last week was all about judging one another and about um, not passing judgment on another. And I was feeling quite happy and complacent, actually, because I thought, you know, I am quite an accepting person, uh, just, you know, by nature. Anyway, I then read these words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say... If you say to your brother, raka, and that word raka often is translated fool or probably more uh, sensibly in our culture would be translated something like moron or idiot. It's a real term of contempt and it could also be translated, I spit on you. Anyway, if you are like that with another person, um, it is as though you have committed murder. And then I read um, a little bit about those verses. And I realized that actually that condemning attitude, that attitude of belittling or ridiculing someone, maybe perhaps treating them as less worthy than ourselves, that is a way of us almost robbing someone of their God-given humanity. It is as though, Jesus says, you are taking away their life. And I thought about my own reactions to some people. I thought about how easily I mock perhaps other people who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, how I almost dismiss them and their views. I thought about how I speak about people who perhaps own guns or don't vaccinate their children. And these weaknesses of mine, these failings of ours, this common sin that we all fall into, doesn't change what God thinks about us. He hates the belittling and the backbiting and the mocking, but he loves us. And God, Christ, doesn't wait for us to change. He doesn't wait for me to become perfect. He loves me as I am. And so this truth of the gospel, this what we call cycle of grace, if you like, is how we are to live our lives constantly, coming back to God in repentance, saying we're sorry, acknowledging that he does accept us and love us. And so if that is how he deals with us, that is how we must deal with one another. And now I think we come to the slightly tricky bit, which is this idea of instructing one another. How can we do this at the same time as accepting one another? Well, you might have heard this little... Pithy saying that Christ accepts us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way. And that sounds great, doesn't it? But actually, in practice, I think that's quite difficult. How do we do that? How do we have that attitude of acceptance of one another? And yet, also, Paul is asking us to instruct one another. I um, had a conversation with a mother of a teenager the other day, and we were really sharing this, this dilemma because her teenager feels judged by her pretty much all the time. And she says, I want to show her love and acceptance, but I also need to train her to pick up her breakfast things from the table and put them in the dishwasher, to greet people when they come into the house, to speak kindly. How do we do that? Well, I think the first thing is we need to understand that we are standing in God's grace. Uh, I was so struck by this verse in chapter 15, verse, let me find it for you, verse 14. Paul writes, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Isn't that wonderful? We have to believe that about ourselves. You have to believe that you are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and able to instruct one another. Imagine just saying that about yourself. Imagine saying, I am full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and competent to instruct one another because this is what you are. And Paul goes on to say, I have written to you quite boldly on some points because of the grace God has given me. I am preaching to you quite boldly on some points because I am more worthy than you, more mature, more competent in spiritual matters. No, I am preaching to you this morning because of God's grace, I'm very glad to say. Yes, of course, there is natural gifting, and training, and equipping, and I don't want to disregard those things in any way. But we have all received God's grace. And so he's expecting all of us to instruct one another. Otherwise, Paul would not have written one another. So how do we do this? How can we teach? And perhaps the other word of, of, um, can be translated admonish, quite a strong word. How do we do this in love? because we know it is all about love. Well, in order to unpack that a little bit, I'm just going to jump into Matthew's gospel, because I think we need to look at the great teacher. I think we need to look at Jesus, our rabbi. Matthew is the one gospel writer that really wants to portray Jesus as teacher. He um, he's structured his gospel into five main blocks of teaching. And I think he's done that to mirror the five books of the Old Testament, the five first books, which is the Torah, uh, the Jewish book of the law. And then uh, in Matthew 10, we notice this very interesting little detail. I hope you don't mind me jumping into something, but I love this. Matthew 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples, and he tells them to do lots of things. He says, in uh, the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. And then a little bit later on in verse 6, in verse 7, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. You might notice a very interesting omission. There's one thing he records Jesus as not saying, as not asking his disciples. He doesn't ask them to teach. He asks them to proclaim the the fact that the kingdom of God is near, but he doesn't say teach. Now, interestingly, at the end of the gospel, in Matthew 28, when Jesus is leaving them, the commission is very definitely to baptize and teach, because um, he knows we are the ones who are going to take the message and carry on the teaching ministry. But Matthew, in this, is trying to point us to the fact that Jesus is the great rabbi. He is the, the greatest teacher. And so that's the point that he was trying to make. Now, how Jesus teaches and how we see him as the teacher in Matthew is a whole other sermon series. So uh, that might be one. I want to just simply say that all of Jesus' teaching is about not keeping rules, but forming character. In fact, there are very few actual rules in Christianity, if you think about it. It is much more um, based on those two great rules, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And Paul says in Romans 13 that he knows that love is the fulfillment of the law, that actually it's those two massive um, commands, as it were, that we are to live our life by. I think um, <clears throat> this is expressed uh, in those very famous, wonderful words in Matthew's gospel in chapter 11, which I think are very familiar to you. When Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. And when he says about that, his yoke, he is talking about the law. And he's saying Take my law, which is the one of love, on you, and um, live as I am living through you. Because the question isn't, isn't about how am I actually going to do this um, by um, obeying each individual law. For example, it's not about saying how much money should I give away, should I give 10% of my income, before tax or after tax. Actually, the question is more for us as Christians. What is the loving way to give? How can I demonstrate my love for God in the way I give? See, it's all about coming to Jesus. And then as we come to Jesus, we become more like Jesus. So we instruct others by bringing them to Jesus and helping them become more like Jesus. We instruct others by loving them like Jesus loves them. And Paul mentions, of course, that we can use scripture for this instruction. Uh, That's at the beginning of the passage where he says, um, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. He knows that the scriptures are so important. I was always very impressed with an American lady I once knew who surreptitiously used scripture in her conversations. So I don't think the people that she was talking to would necessarily realize she was quoting verses, but she would say things like, life isn't really about what you own, is it? it?" Or if she was talking about wealth, she would say, yeah, but you can't take it with you, can you? And the uh, other day I saw, um, because I'm thinking there are many different ways that we can share scripture with each other and we can instruct one another using scripture. I was um, struck by um, a member of the congregation here buying um, on the lunch club stall, she was buying um, a comic illustration uh, version of the Bible for one of her grandchildren, I believe. And that was her way of bringing scripture to a member of her family. So maybe this week, we could think about who and how God is asking us to instruct one another. Is that in our small groups? Is that in our daily lives? Is that with our neighbors? Who is it he's calling us to instruct? And it is always in that attitude of love that flows from acceptance. Because God's goodwill and his purpose is always about relationship. It's always about relationship. And that is why we're doing this series. That is why we're looking at what it means to be church. Because God's purpose is to have a united people and unity, it's so great to talk about unity today, isn't it? On the beginning of the week for Christian unity. Unity in Christ is not all about thinking the same thing, it's all about having the same teacher. And the more that we agree with our teacher, and the more that we agree, agree about our teacher, the more we will agree with one another. And this is coming to this grand climax, this grand purpose that we see in our passage. The great fulfillment of what it means to be church is this praising community. We are the church in order to praise God and to bring others into this praising community. Uh, Tom Wright (coughs) writes all this relationship stuff that we're learning about, about accepting each other, honoring each other, not judging each other, loving each other, It's not just about sort of clearing the rubble around us so that everything feels and looks nice. No, he says it's about building. You clear the rubble so that you can build because we are in the business of joining in what God is doing in building his kingdom. God's kingdom is a kingdom where all nations will come together and worship him. Isn't it great to think of Aggie and Jesse going to a completely different culture, completely different nation, completely different people, and believing that God's mission is to bring those people into the praising body of believers. I had the privilege of having coffee this week with a lovely girl who is from Sweden, but she grew up in, well, her mother is Russian, so she's Russian and Sweden. And she told me about how she came to faith, just really from almost, it feels like from out of the blue, she um, read a book and then met a Christian and came to our church and has come to a wonderful faith. And I was so encouraged that Together, she and I, having coffee, have that unity in Christ. We have that fellowship because of Jesus. Because divided, we cannot praise. And so let us have that hope. Hope is sort of peppered throughout the book, isn't it? Throughout the passage that we've had today. Let us hold on to that hope that however badly our church might seem uh, divided, the hope is that God, the hope is sure that God is drawing all nations to himself to praise him. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him, so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.